Welcome to another inspirational message by Pastor Ron Hammonds, Senior Pastor at Golden Triangle Church on the Rock in Beaumont, Texas. For more information about Church on the Rock and Ron Hammonds Ministries, visit cotr.com. Okay. Open up your Bibles if you would. We're going to be going this morning to the book of Judges, the third chapter, for just a moment. And then we're going to be going uh, uh, to uh, the book of Acts, chapter 9. Today we're talking about godly goads. What in the world is a goad? (laughs) Well, we'll find out in a moment, okay? Godly goads. Judges, the third chapter, verse 31. This is during the time of the judges when God would send judges to deliver the children of Israel. They would get themselves in trouble and he would, he would either uh, you know, anoint a man or a woman to, to, to rise up and to become leaders and to help uh, them get free from the Philistines or free from their enemies, uh, you know, those that would take advantage of them. And so uh, in, in Judges chapter 3, verse 31, the Bible says, After him was Shamgar. Shamgar was the son of Anath. He was one of the judges who killed 600 men of the Philistines with an ox goad. And he also delivered Israel. 600, woo, with an ox goad. What is an ox goad? Well, this is an ox goad, okay? Let me show you. That's an ox goad. See that? It's, a, it's basically, a, a can be a lot of things, but it's basically, you know, a sharp, pointy stick, sometimes eight, nine, ten feet long. And uh, it's what uh, it is used to prod oxen along. Have you ever been goaded into doing something? You ever been prodded into doing something, you know? Uh, you know, in, 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 in raising cattle, we use a little different type of cattle prod. But, uh, you know, this is still used in many places in the world where it's used just to, you know, um, you know, you may have to prick them a little bit, may have to stick them a little bit, may have to poke them a little bit. And, 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 and you may not, once they learn what, what that goat is there for, you know, sometimes you just have to raise it and they just go right back in line. They get, they get out of the ditch and, you know, I mean, uh, it's, it's amazing. Well, a goad is basically just a long, sharp stick. Sometimes has a metal point. Sometimes there's nails driven through the end of it, and it sticks out. Man, uh, amazing. It's used to prod and guide, direct, you know, sometimes to correct oxen along a right path. Can you imagine being irritated? Can you imagine being, ever being irritated, poked at, prodded, stuck, Pushed. Can you ever imagine being irritated by someone goading you? And you get so irritated that you begin to kick at that thing. Can you ever, can you imagine what happened if you kicked at one of those things? I think that may be why we call them dumb oxes. Well, How about kicking it repeatedly over and over and over again just because it's prodding you to change, just because it's asking you to go a different direction, just because it's asking you to get out of the ditch, to get in line or to stay in line, especially when you're being prodded by God. This is the picture that Jesus gave to Saul of Tarsus. When Saul of Tarsus was on his way to Damascus in Acts chapter 9, he was on the 
road to Damascus and all of a sudden a great light shined and, and, and uh, you know, he was on his way there breathing out, you know, threats and, and, and murderous intentions toward every person who was born again. He hated Christians. He hated believers. He hated the church and he was trying to destroy the church. Jesus said to him on that road, I am the one that you're persecuting. Jesus took it personal. I'm the one, you know, you think you're persecuting the church, you're persecuting me. That's my bride, that's my body, that's my family. It's hard, Jesus told him, it's hard to kick against the goads, isn't it, Paul? Isn't it Saul of Tarsus? You know, Saul understood this proverb immediately because it's, it's a proverb that comes from the ancient cultures. And he realized that, that, that he was having a spiritual visitation. He was having a real spiritual moment. It's good to recognize when something spiritual is happening, when some voice is speaking to you, and it's more than just a good idea. It's more than just an opinion. It's more than just someone's advice. This happens to be a spiritual opportunity, a spiritual voice. He recognized something new is happening happening here. Something from heaven is happening. And when he realized he was having this heavenly visitation, when he realized who it was that was talking to him, you know, he, he realized that continuing to kick against the church, continuing to kick against this, this, this Jesus of Nazareth, continuing to kick against his lordship and, and, and him being Messiah is just going to end up hurting me. That's what he does that ox. Kicking against it, just all it does is just keep injuring the ox over and over again. As a result, Saul listened to the living word that he was being given, and he changed his ways. He accepted Jesus as Lord and Savior. He was baptized in water. He was filled with the Holy Spirit. And from that time on, Saul became known as the Apostle Paul, the Apostle of grace and mercy, who did more for the church than he could ever have done against it. We are here today as a direct result of that Saul of Tarsus being changed by the goading and what he did for the church. Goads continue to be used today all over the world in countries where they don't use tractors or they don't have heavy equipment to use them. And, uh, and, and we don't know if Shamgar, this judge, we don't know if he walked softly, but we do know he carried a big stick. Yeah, a pointy stick. He killed 600 of the enemy with a pointed stick. Wow. My goodness. Acts chapter 9. Let's read this account. Then Saul, Saul of Tarsus, who would become the apostle Paul after his conversion. Then Saul, still breathing threats and murder against the disciples of the Lord, went to the high priest and asked letters from him to the synagogues of Damascus so that if he found any who were of the way, whether men or women, he might bring them bound to Jerusalem. As he journeyed, Saul came near Damascus, and suddenly a light shone around him from heaven. Then he fell to the ground, and he heard a voice saying to him, Saul, Saul, why are you persecuting me? And he said, Who are you, Lord? Then the Lord said, I am Jesus whom you are persecuting. Wow. Jesus kind of took it personal, didn't he? 
it is hard for you to kick against the goads. You see, kicking against the goads injures no one but the one that is kicking. And it's important that we realize that goading can get irritating. Okay? Prodding can get a little irritating, especially when you don't want to get out of the ditch or you don't want to get in line or you don't want to walk that way or you don't want to do that thing. Nonetheless, goading can be so irritating that people begin to kick at it and rebel against it and begin to push against it. In the ancient culture, they used this proverb to identify people who had a character flaw. The character flaw was a rebellious, selfish, I want what I want character flaw. And so this proverb was often said about people who were recognized for just being selfish and doing what they want instead of doing what their master wanted, what their employer wanted, what their parents wanted, what the, the, the city wanted, what the laws were, what the customs were. This proverb is still used in those ancient cultures today. For a person who cannot be instructed or cannot be corrected, you know a person that cannot be instructed and cannot be corrected is no good to an employer is no good to a community. A person that cannot be instructed and cannot be corrected is no good to God. No good to a family. We need to be people who can be instructed, who can be corrected, who can be prodded to get in line, walk in line, go the right direction, to get up and to get moving. Today, I want to talk about some godly goads that provide us with reasonable reminders, with some ordinate pressure in life to change our ways to line up with what is right, with what God's will is for our life. There is a right, there is a wrong. Right and wrong are not different for different people. There is a truth. There's not your truth and my truth. There's one truth. His name is Jesus Christ. Resist the devil's tactics to bring this new generation into a place to where truth is relative. It is not. Truth is finite. Jesus is Lord. There is a heaven. There is a hell. There are lost people. There are saved people. There's a devil. There's a God. There's a right. There's a wrong. And God is in the business of goading us to do what is right. Godly goads this morning. Now, by and large, the leadership and the laws of our nation are godly goads. God establishes and God supports authorities. So we need to realize that God uses governments Romans chapter 13 tells us all about this. In fact, verse 1 of Romans 13 says this, Let every soul, how many souls? Every soul. Let every soul be subject or be submitted to governing authorities, to the authorities that God has put in place to govern. You know, whether that might be a parent or a teacher or a lawmaker or a policeman, let every soul find a place of submission, find a place of support, and find a place where they come, become subject to governing authorities. For there is no authority except from God, and the authorities that exist are appointed by God. Therefore, whoever resists the authority resists the ordinance of God. And those who resist will bring judgment upon themselves. They're not hurting anybody but themselves to go out here and drive, you know, 100 miles an hour. I mean, on top of whoever they run over. 
They're not hurting anybody but themselves to go out here and steal, to go out here and murder. They bring judgment on themselves. For rulers, verse 3 says, those people that God has put in place as an authority, our leadership and our laws, for rulers are not a terror to good works, but to evil. Do you want to be afraid? Do you want to be unafraid of the authority? Would you like to live unafraid of authority? Do what is good, and you will have the praise from the same. Now, when we live by God's Word, it puts God in the seat of responsibility to make these things happen. When we live by God's Word, it becomes God's obligation to fix things that are wrong. And I understand that, 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 that the government, not everything is right with the government. And we have been given a great ability. We have been given a great authority to vote. We have been given a great authority to appeal. We have been blessed in this nation. Other nations may not have those blessings, but the Word of God stands true anyway. The leadership and the laws of our nation are godly goads. A second thing that's a godly goad, our conscience is a godly goad. Every born-again believer has the Holy Spirit living on the inside of them. Every born-again believer must accept the fact that God is greater than your conscience and that God will use your conscience to goad you. He will use it to give you guidance. God will use your conscience. If you are a born-again believer, especially if you're right with God, God will speak to you and guide you and lead you. He will harness you and hold you back. He will move you and change your direction by your conscience. 1 John 3, verse 20, says it this way. For if our heart condemns us, if your conscience, another translation says, condemns you, if your heart condemns you, listen, you need to realize that God is greater than your heart. You need to realize that God is dealing with your heart and your heart may have to deal with your mind. God may not be dealing with your mind. He may not be dealing with your body. He may not be dealing with your business. He'll first deal with your heart. And if your heart condemns you, you have no confidence. God knows all things, and God is greater than our heart. Verse 21, beloved, if our heart does not condemn us, we have confidence toward God. God uses our conscience to guide us. It's a godly goad. Please don't go against your conscience. The Bible says in Romans, the 14th chapter, that some people do things believing that those things are wrong, but they're doing them because other people do them. The Bible says don't do anything that you believe is wrong because if you believe it is wrong and you do it, you're going against your conscience, and the Bible says for a man to go against his consciousness is sin. Romans chapter 14. To do something that you believe is wrong is wrong because without faith you cannot please God. Another godly goad, things that God uses to prod us. Sometimes they can get irritating. Sometimes, have you ever been poked in one place too many times? Sometimes they can get irritating, especially if you're doing something that's against the law, okay? Like cheating on the income tax. Oh, I love that one. It's against the law. 
And the Bible says in Romans 13, pay taxes to whom taxes are due. That's a godly commission, okay? So if you're cheating on your income tax, it's against the law and you don't want to be reminded of it. But then if your consciousness starts bothering you, whew, that's a little more irritating, isn't it? And then if you come to church and the preacher says something about it, you done been stuck in that same place about three times. And I got to find me another church to go to. But do you know one of the greatest goads that God has? The sermons we hear in church are godly goads. That's right. Yeah. Your preacher has a big stick. And it's sharp. For some of you, you just got to raise it every now and then. For the others, you know, sorry, I'm irritating you. But if you kick against it, it's just going to hurt yourself because it's the truth. 1 Corinthians, the first chapter, verse 21 says, For since in the wisdom of God, the world through wisdom did not know God, it pleased God through the foolishness of the message preached to save those who believe. <laughs> it pleases God that through the foolishness of me preaching a message that it would help you. God just gets tickled about that. <laughs> God's happy through the foolishness of preaching that men would be saved. Sozo, saved, made whole. You know, sermons from our pastors should goad us and guide us in life. You know, there are a lot of other goads. We can get godly advice, encouragement and correction, goads, if you will, from family members, good friends, and counselors. You know, there are a lot of things God can use to goad us. Now, not everything you hear is from God. Saul, who was breathing out murderous threats against believers, he had a big backing. He had friends that were going wrong with him and supporters. He had the backing of the whole high council of the Jewish high council in Jerusalem. Just because you got backing and just because people agree with you may not mean that your consciousness is okay. You know, God had been working on, on, on Saul for a while and evidently because Jesus said, you've been kicking against this. He, he evidently been going against his conscience, been going against the messages. He'd been going against all the things that he knew. And Saul was an educated man. He was very educated. He knew what the Old Testament said. He was educated, you know, uh, of, of the highest form. He knew what the Old Testament said about Messiah. He could have looked and seen it for himself. And he should have had some clue whenever he realized that all that was in his heart was bitterness. The only thing in his heart was hatred. The only thing in his heart was revenge. The only thing in his heart, I mean, he was a guy holding the coats of those who stoned Deacon Stephen. That should have been a clue. When all you have in your heart is bitterness, all you have in your heart is hatred, when all you have in your heart is, is, is just, you know, rebellion or self or all about me, whenever that, you should wake up and realize God's probably been trying to goad me. And those irritating, those people that I think are irritating me are messengers from heaven. Where else can you go and get this for only a quarter? I know what some of you are going to put an offering plate today. <laughs> Jesus wanted Saul to understand that when somebody hurts the church, they're hurting him. He took it personal. God had been dealing with him for a good bit, and, and, and he should have realized something was wrong with him. He should have realized that 
And he did in that moment. All of a sudden, he had to come to Jesus moment and said, my goodness, I'm going to hurt myself if I don't change. It's going to cost me. And he changed. I believe God has goaded, is goading, and will continue to goad us when we need to change. I'm closing with how we can recognize a godly goad. How can we recognize a godly goad? Well, you know, a godly goad will not only sound like the Word of God, it will agree with God's Word, God's will, and God's way. Man, if somebody's encouraging you to do something and you don't want to, but it sounds like God, <laughs> you'd rather not, but it agrees with God's Word, God's will, and God's way. Well, you know, just realize no one is exempt from God's Word. No one is exempt from God's way and His will. God is kind, God is caring, God is loving, God is merciful, God is forgiving, God is true. If somebody's trying to get you to do something like that, then realize that you may want to give up your unforgiveness. You may want to give up your bitterness. You may want to give up your resentment. You may want to give up your personal hurt and pain. You may want to give up your pride. You may want to go ahead and say, you know, God, I'm not going to kick against it anymore. Lord, I'm yours. Here it is, God, and that's yours. Lord, I can't change it. Here it is. You take care of it, God. He will. How can we recognize a godly goad? Well, because you have the Holy Spirit living on the inside of you, and because you cannot run the Holy Spirit off, believe me, a godly goad, it won't go away because you ignore it, and it won't go away because you kick against it. You're going to keep running into it over and over and over and over again. About 26 years ago, 24, 26 years ago, somewhere in there, one of our elders and his wife, they wanted to know how to witness. We were doing a witnessing thing. We would get together at the church about, oh, you know, about dark, and we'd pray, and then we'd go out and we'd witness. <laughs> you know, we'd divide up in teams, and we'd just go tell people about Jesus, you know? Well, one night, there was, oh, probably... 12 or 15 of us. And I was praying. We were praying, oh God, you know, just help us, Lord. And I had a vision. I saw in a vision, I saw a man standing in the dark down a lane and his trunk was open in his car and, and uh, uh, there was some water behind him. I saw it in a vision and I heard the voice of God speak to me, go and tell that man I know where he is. And I want to save his soul. So I got up and my partner that night was Ursula Parker. Okay. One of our elders wives, Ursula Parker. I said, Ursula, you're going to need to go with somebody else tonight, huh? She said, why? I said, well, I had a vision from God and I know where I'm going. I'm not, I'm not sure, but I'm going to just follow the Holy Spirit because there's a man standing with his trunk open in his car and he's in the dark and he's out in the, in, 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 in the weeds somewhere and there's some water behind him and I'm, and I'm supposed to tell him that God knows where he is and God wants to save him. She said, I'm going with you. I said, no, you can't go with me because, listen, that was dark. And it was, no, no, you just go with somebody else. I'm, I'm, I'm going to go find this man. She said, ain't no way in the world. If, if my pastor said he had a vision, you think I'm not going to go with him to see if it's really true? I said, well, I mean, you know, John, you knew Ursula. Ursula was pretty, pretty formidable, you know. She said, yeah, I am going. I said, oh, no. She said, I'm going. I said, okay. 
You know, you can. We got in the car and just prayed, led by the Holy Spirit. I went over the, the bridge, went on to Pleasure Island. I drove down a ways, went down a gravel road, and went back down this gravel road toward the, toward the water. And, 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 and there off to the left, there was a, like, like two tire track lane wheels that just led, led off to the left. And, and way down there, I could see a little light. You know, it is a little bit wet, you know, a little bit uncomfortable. I said, Ursula, you sit here and you just pray. I'm going to walk down that lane and I'm going I'm to see that man down there. That, that, that's the man God sent me tell. She said, ain't no way in the world I'm staying here. She said, I'm going to see this thing. I want to see. I want to see if my pastor hears from God. You know, I'm all excited about it. I said, well, you know, it's kind of wet and everything. Why don't you just hang right here? Mickey, that's more your evangelism style, Mickey. So she said, I'm going. I said, well, come on. We walked down, you know, I mean, just barely moonlight enough. We could see where we were going. Didn't have a flashlight. and It wasn't the day of cell phones where you could get it out and shine on it. So we just walked down that lane, walked down there a long way. It was probably, it was probably 90 to 100 yards, maybe a little more. Walked up on a guy who was standing there fishing. Had the trunk opened behind him. Weeds all around him. A little dim light there with his trunk open. He heard me go click, click, click. And I think he heard Ursula praying in tongues. And uh, he turned, he's, he said, what are you doing here? And he stepped back and he reached his hand and put his hand in his trunk. I, I got enough sense. I was a policeman for six years. I know what he was reaching after, you know, uh, and I didn't have mine. <laughs> but I had the Holy Ghost. So he just had his hand in his trunk there and he said, what are you doing down here? He said, you know, it's dangerous to walking up on somebody. I said, yeah, I know. I said, well... I came down here to tell you something. He said, what? Now, he's a good-sized old boy. I said, the Lord Jesus Christ sent me down here to see you, and he wants you to know that he knows where you're at, and he wants to save your soul. Boy, he looked at me like he was going to bust out crying, and about that time, out of the back seat, his wife jumped out of the back seat. I didn't know anybody was in there. Come around where he was, and she said, how dare you? How dare you Christians? Why won't you leave us alone? The very reason we are down here is because every week Christians are knocking on our door trying to get us saved and we decided we would find some place where there weren't any Christians. And so we drove all the way down here to get away from you guys. Now what are you doing here? I said evidently God knows where you are and he wants to save your soul. Ursula Parker standing over there praying in tongues louder now. <laughs> that man looked at me. He just had just such potential. And he looked at his wife, and he did what Adam did. You know, what Adam wanted. Adam would rather, you know, deal with an angry God than an angry wife. That's why, that's why, that's, that's why he ate. You know, she ate and she gave it to her stupid husband and he ate it too. The Bible says she was deceived. The Bible says he knew what he was doing. <laughs> this man was not deceived. This man knew what he was doing. This woman was deceived. But in that particular situation, he, it broke his heart. And he said to me, he took his hand out of the trunk. 
And he said, I think you guys need to leave. I said, okay. I said, I did what I came to do. God knows where you are, and he wants to save your soul. Come on, Ursula. Woo, man, you'd have thought she was at Pentecost all over her, man. She'd come, come back. I mean, we came back, and we met, after, you know, telling everybody what happened. She had, you know, she had a wonderful, wonderful, wonderful time. Well, let's just one more goad, one more press. Listen, it won't go away if it's the Holy Ghost prodding you. It won't go away because you ignore it. It won't go away because you move to another state. It won't go away because you get another job or because you go to the bar. It won't go away because you take drugs. It won't go away and you can't kick against it enough because the Holy Ghost can't be run off. He's got a purpose. If it's a godly goad, it's going to keep goading you. It's going to keep on and keep on and keep on and keep on. Why? Because God knows where you are and God wants to save your soul. He gave his son on the cross of Calvary for your soul. Don't think he's going to be intimidated or going to pull up short because you get angry. Number three, you know, God's, he goads us to get us moving. He goads us to change our direction. God doesn't just poke us with a sharp stick for fun. He's not that kind of God. You know, he's just not going around poking us. He has a purpose to what he's doing, okay? You know, um, one of the ways we can recognize that it's God and not just a good idea, not just somebody's opinion. Godly goads, well, a godly goad, it will require a decision on your part to change. That's what it required from Saul, a decision I'm going to change. That's what it's going to require in order for God to stop prodding you, you're going to have to make a decision that I need to get out of the ditch, I need to get back in line, I need to stay in line, I need to get up, I need to get going. Whatever it is that God is prodding you to do, whatever the goat is, listen, it's going to require a decision on your part. A good opinion might just say, hey, look, you're fine just like you are. You know what, uh, you, know, you can go a lot of places and learn how to feel better about being bad. But when you come to Jesus... You're going to find out where you need to change. And hopefully, you know, every few days, God's going to give me a little more direction, a little more correction, a little more instruction, a little more encouragement, because we walk in a world that is nasty, in a world that is dark, in a world that is deranged, demented. We walk in a world that is filled with hatred. And it's hard to walk in this world, the book of Jude says, without your righteous garments getting stained with this unrighteous world that we're in, without my mind being contaminated, without being confused about right and wrong and good and bad. We walk in a world that's mixed up and confused. It's hard. I need correction every day. I need instruction every day. I need guidance every day. We need these godly goats. The word repent is connected with change. And that's often what we must do. Well, one more scripture in Ecclesiastes 12. Two verses. This is the reason I wrote my daily devotional. You can get it online. We're sold out. We only bought 2,000 copies, and you guys ate them up. Ecclesiastes 12, verse 10 says, The preacher sought to find acceptable words, 
And what was written was upright, words of truth. The words of the wise are like goads. And the words of scholars like well-driven nails given by one shepherd. Listen, when you're goaded by God, whether it's within the laws, within the authority, within the counsel of friends, family, godly counsel, you know, when you're encouraged to change, just do what the Apostle Paul did. Just say yes, sir, and change. Okay? It's hard to kick against the pricks. You're not hurting anybody but yourself.